So it seems that I've chosen a rather timely week to end my little break from making the show. There are certainly enough things that have happened in the past three or four days to provide me with a few months' worth of content. But to get back into the swing of things, I don't want to do a grand sweeping summary of the past few days, primarily because I don't think I have a uniquely insightful perspective on these specific events. If you're the type of person who listens to a show like this, then I would assume that you probably have been following the news for the past few days, and so I don't want to waste your time by acting like I have a really singular and unique opinion about the insurrection at the Capitol or what's happened since then. But the topic that I want to discuss this week is slightly related. There have been a great number of politicians who have made statements in the past few days that express their displeasure by saying something along the lines of, America isn't a banana republic. Now, saying something like that is, I think, not only a morally repugnant thing to do, but also historically illiterate. So this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about what exactly a banana republic is, how they come to be, and why they're created. You're listening to Hidden History, and this is episode 98, Banana Republic. Hidden History is always available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and www.hiddenhistory.show. If you enjoy this episode, then subscribe, share it with your friends, or leave a rating. And with that, I'll get on to it. So the dictionary definition of Banana Republic is a small, poor country often reliant on a single export or limited resource governed by an authoritarian regime and characterized by corruption and economic exploitation by foreign corporations conspiring with local government officials. Alternatively, the second definition is any exploitative government that functions poorly for its citizens while disproportionately benefiting a corrupt elite group or individual. Now, a dictionary definition is all well and good, but it's impossible to understand the phenomenon of the Banana Republic without first understanding the long history of American intervention in Central and South America. The United States has orchestrated coups and political assassinations, deposed left-wing leaders and elevated right-wing authoritarians throughout the Western Hemisphere, including in Argentina, Mexico, Brazil, Chile, Cuba, Costa Rica, the Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Guatemala, Haiti, Nicaragua, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, Uruguay, and Venezuela. Now, this episode is about South America, not the entire world, but I want to take a second to tell you all of the countries where the United States has invaded or otherwise overthrown a legitimate government. Of course, the entire expanse of the United States is the result of a ruthless, duplicitous, and genocidal expansion, part of an imperial campaign of European colonization that oversaw the methodical extermination of 90% of the indigenous population of the Americas, somewhere between 50 and 80 million people. When the transformation and homogenization of North America was beginning to show results in the early 1800s, the furthest western state was Missouri. That is to say that the young United States had colonized a significant amount of territory, but also had a ways to go. The term Manifest Destiny wouldn't be coined until 1845. But in 1823, President James Monroe presided over the creation of the Monroe Doctrine, a guiding axiom for the United States which said that European colonial powers were no longer welcome in the Western Hemisphere. This was not, however, a liberatory statement. 
Monroe wasn't impressing the value of self-determination for colonized people. He was laying claim to them. The Monroe Doctrine wasn't meant to free half the world from colonial oppression, because it was itself a declaration of empire. Sending a message to the British and French and Spanish, saying that their colonial possessions would now work to serve the interests of the United States, whether they wanted to or not. And to those colonies, the Monroe Doctrine was a plain warning. Watch your step. Exist to benefit the United States, or we will correct you by any means necessary. In the following decades, the United States expanded across the West, annexing and killing at will, hungry for more and more territory. After America stretched from sea to sea, it set its sights in earnest on the outside world, beginning with the Perry Expedition to Japan in 1853. Ten years later, the United States intervenes in Mexico. In the 1880s, they intervened in Samoa. Then in 1893, American businessmen, with support from the Marines, overthrew the government of Hawaii, fully annexing it as a state just over a hundred years later. In the beginning of the 20th century, interventions began to become more and more frequent, the height of which is the Cold War. There's a lot of countries here, so I'm just going to rattle them off. After all, this is just to give you a sense of how America operates on a global scale. Since 1900, America has either intervened, instigated regime change, or invaded the following countries. Panama, Honduras, Cuba, Nicaragua, Nicaragua again, Mexico, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, Germany, Austria-Hungary, Russia, Panama again, Japan, Germany again, Italy, France, Belgium, the Netherlands, the Philippines, Austria, Korea, China, Greece, Costa Rica, Albania, Syria, China again, Korea again, Egypt, Iran, Cuba again, the Philippines again, Guatemala, Paraguay, Syria again, Indonesia, Vietnam, Iraq, Cuba again, the Congo, Laos, the Dominican Republic again, Indonesia, Cambodia, Chile, Bolivia, Uruguay, Ethiopia, Angola, Zaire, Cambodia again, Afghanistan, Poland, El Salvador, Chad, Nicaragua, Granada, Burkina Faso, Panama again, Iraq again, then Iraq and Haiti one more time, then Zaire again, Indonesia again, Yugoslavia, Venezuela, Iraq one more time, Palestine, Syria again, Iran, Honduras, Libya, Yemen, and Venezuela again. And that's only the stuff we know about. So all this is to say that the United States is very active in overthrowing legitimate governments in favor of installing illegitimate right-wing authoritarian rule that offers direct benefits to the empire itself. The United States is a practitioner of imperialism not in the same way that the British Empire was, a very overt, occupying, and annexing force. But rather, the United States government has preferred to mainly work behind the scenes, assassinating politicians, sabotaging left-wing movements, and destabilizing governments in order to form an orderly web of client states that forms, in every sense, an invisible empire. So the main thing I want to get at in this episode is the construction of the Banana Republic. And I want to do that through proxy, by talking instead about a series of small wars throughout the Caribbean, South, and Central America, 
that are today known collectively as the Banana Wars. To be able to comfortably go into that topic, I want to give you the context on both a macro and micro level, the broader mechanism of imperialism that I just described to you, meddling in elections, funding and training rebels, engaging in nation-building. That is the macro level. It's not specific to America. It's something that exists around the world, is practiced in varying degrees by a number of countries, and impacts a lot of the nations in the global south in a great number of diverse and incredibly complex ways. It's the broader system in which these specific actions exist. For this episode, I want to zoom in on the unique ways that imperialism impacted South America, which was the target of a great variety of imperial aspirations, but grew to be ruthlessly dominated by the United States. And so to be able to do that, we need to know about what America looked like at the twilight of the 19th century. In the Americas, the 1800s marked the decline of the old empires and the rise of a new one. As Spain, France, Portugal, and England saw their empires slowly start to crumble over the course of the century, America grew to span ocean to ocean, growing from 16 states to 45. It emerged from its own bloody civil war to ruthlessly solidify its grasp on the land through dozens of aggressive wars with the native population throughout the 1870s, 80s, and 90s. Newly empowered by its ability to expand, the United States set its sights on Cuba, which it had maintained massive economic power over since the end of the Civil War. Over the course of a number of years, the United States government developed an insatiable hunger for territory in the Caribbean, causing tension with Spain that came to a head after February 15, 1898, when the battleship Maine sunk in Havana Harbor from what is now believed to be an accidental coal explosion. Remember the Maine became the rallying cry that led the people of the United States into the Spanish-American War, which started two months later on April 21st. Over the course of ten weeks, the United States dominated Spanish forces, resulting in Spain signing the 1898 Treaty of Paris, a peace treaty that forced Spain to surrender its colonial holdings in Cuba, Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines. The Spanish Empire was no more. It was almost 1900, and the United States was riding high off a series of successful imperial bids. It seemed that they could not lose. Little did they know that they were about to enter what's sometimes called the American Century. The Banana Wars begins immediately afterwards. The term Banana Wars was coined after the fact in the 1930s in order to reflect that the conflict had economic motivations. After all, the military death squads that companies like United Fruit used to massacre workers and assassinate labor leaders operated with the full support of the United States government. The United States engaged in a series of wars during the period, which lasted from 1898 to 1934, in Panama, Cuba, the Dominican Republic, Honduras, Mexico, and Haiti. In his 1904 State of the Union address, Theodore Roosevelt issued the Roosevelt Corollary, which told the rest of the world that the United States would be the only one allowed to wage war in the Western Hemisphere, and that if a European country wanted to wage war in South America, the United States would do it on their behalf. The Roosevelt Corollary allowed the United States to vastly increase the scale of its imperial power, essentially holding half the world under a ransom. 
Out of the scores of military interventions that the United States made during the Banana Wars, the most relevant to this episode are a series of interventions made on behalf of American fruit companies operating in Honduras, which in 1904, author O. Henry called a Banana Republic. In 1903, the United States had sent American troops to support the rise of Manuel Bonilla, a conservative who imprisoned his political rivals while being a great friend to American corporations. Four years later, the United States sent troops and ships to defend Bonilla, who had since declared himself dictator in the Honduran-Nicaraguan War. He stepped down that year, but was brought back just four years later in 1911, when American troops backed the efforts of fruit executive Samuel Z. Murray, who sought to depose the democratically elected government in favor of a pro-corporate military dictatorship. When that intervention turned into a war, the United States ended it by forcing the democratically elected president to step down so that a neutral party chosen by the United States could oversee fair elections. Bonilla won. He died a year later, and the United States would land troops in Honduras again in 1919, 1924, and 1925. So with that down, who would you say is responsible for their country's status as a banana republic? The people of Honduras, or the government of the United States? I think it's pretty obvious that the only reason Honduras or any other nation, as a matter of fact, is a banana republic is because we made it one. When you hear people say things like, today was a scene from a banana republic, or it's like we live on a banana republic, then what they're really saying is, this shouldn't be happening to us. All right, well, I really didn't uh, know how to write an ending for this episode, but I hope you did enjoy it. Uh, and if you did, then subscribe, leave a rating, or share it with some of your friends. Thanks for listening, and I'll uh, see you next week.